0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah Alameen, Wa Salatu wa Salaam wa Allah wa ala alihi wa Sahbihi wa Sallam wa Tasleem wa Kathiran الى يوم الدين Ama Bad Allahumma la'almalana illa ma'alamtana inna ka'ant al-Alimul Hakim Allahumma alimna ma'yanfaruna wa bima bima'alamtana wa Zidna ilman wa amalan Ya Kareem Rabbishrahli Sadri wa Yasirli Amri wa Halulukhdatamil Lisani Yafkohu Pawli all praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa taala. We praise Him. We seek His forgiveness and we seek His assistance and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa taala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Uh, whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa taala decrees guidance upon the none can misguide Him, and whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa taala decrees misguidance upon the none can guide Him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi wa I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, um alaikum Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh once again. And uh, I welcome you to um, lesson 12 um, or episode uh, 12 uh, in our series Zad al-Ma'ad, uh, Provisions for the Hereafter um and obviously um, this is a, a series especially dedicated towards our da'wah uh workers not exclusively but especially and um it's surrounding uh, a book written by Imam Ibn al-Qayyim and in particular the summarized version of the book by um, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab uh, um in our last session we Began discussing salah and the guidance of the Messenger Wasallam with regards to um, salah, and uh, we said that inshallah in this particular episode we will dive into the blessings um, and benefits uh, of the salah of the salah. So inshallah, um let's kick off with that. There are many benefits uh, as you can imagine my dear brothers and sisters related to um, Salah. Um, Meaningful benefits, uh, tangible benefits, benefits um, in this life, benefits uh, in the grave, benefits uh, on the day of Qiyamah uh, and and, and then in general benefits for the hereafter. Salah has a plethora um, of benefits and it's the first pillar Uh, after the shahadatayn, right? So after you become a Muslim, the first pillar after that is uh, to observe the salah, to observe uh, the salah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, he said that um, the differentiator between us and them, meaning belief and disbelief is uh, this particular salah, this particular uh, salah. And um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, commanded the Anbiya والسلام, as well, uh, to observe uh, the Salah. Um, but in terms of um, the actuality of the Salah, then our Salah is as taught to us by the Messenger um, And as we said in our last lesson, he said, uh, صَلُّ كَمَا أصلي, That you should observe the prayer just like you see me, uh, observing uh, the prayer. And that's inclusive of his wudu. So we know that he never uh, left out wudu if needed uh, before he observed the prayer. And uh, salah was given to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa before hijrah uh, to Medina uh, because it was given to him during the night of Ali isra and Al-Mi'raj. Meaning uh, it was given to him sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam during the night that witnessed the night journey from uh, Mecca to Bayt al-Maqdis and then the ascension to uh, the heavens uh, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a standing that no one before him had. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him 50 salawat. And uh, this is uh, established in established narrations um, and is well documented in the seerah. And then he met uh, Musa alayhi salam on his way, and Musa alayhi salam urged him to get that number reduced. From experience, of course, from experience, uh, because he knew the difficulties he had with his ummah, and no doubt, Banu Israel were a troublesome ummah. Uh, in fact, we're not uh, trying to uh, misrepresent anybody. This is, this is a fact. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions many uh, of their errors, many of um, their mistakes, many of their sinful ways, um, their difficulty with their own Prophet Musa alayhi salam, even though Allah made him a means of taking them out of and uh, unquote slavery, because they were really oppressed by Fir'aun. So Banu Israel, um, they were really hammered by Fir'aun, and, and after Allah blessed them with the coming of Musa, they still uh, behaved in an unworthy manner. So from experience, Musa advised Rasulullah to go back and ask for the number to be reduced, because the Ummah won't be able to manage this. And we shouldn't forget that, you know, when the day of Qiyamah comes closer, then Barakah is removed out of time. Time begins to fold and overlap and come together. Right? And look today subhanAllah how quickly the times of Salah come about, especially if you're in the winter in some countries, it's sort of Asr, Maghrib, Isha immediately. Right? The only long break you have is between Isha and Fajr, and then Fajr and zuhr but then after that it's like one after the other. Right? Um, so imagine if there was 50 prayers, so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa continued uh, revisiting uh, the, the, this gift salah with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until it was reduced to five and even then Musa said, no, go and get it reduced. But then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, no, this is, uh, you know, Inshallah, we'll, we will have to push and manage this. I mean, I'm paraphrasing obviously, uh, but the, the, he gave the, the, the feeling that, you know, um, I, I now feel ashamed or shy. To go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to get it reduced from five to a lesser number. However, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever for us. And uh, even though we pray five, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, promises uh, a reward of ten. Uh, one good deed is, uh, gets multiplied tenfold. So even though we observe five, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards us as if we have observed fifty. So, um, Salah uh, happened during the Isra and the Mi'raj, or it, it, it was given to Rasulullah s.a.w. as a gift. And we must note this, my dear brothers and sisters, it was given as a gift. It's a present. It's not a burden, it's a present. You know, yes, it's, you know, if for example, you get a pet, you have to look after the pet. But when you know the pet is a gift, and something that can only bring goodness to your life, then you're happy to look after it. And that's the reality with salah, it only has goodness for us, not just in this life as I said earlier, but even after we die in the grave, and then during resurrection, and then uh, you know, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyam, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us as well, that the first thing that Allah will ask you about on the day of Qiyamah, or from those first things is the salah. If the salah stands, uh, all the other deeds, good deeds that we've done, will have the ability to stand up, subhanAllah. Right? Imagine that. But if the salah does not stand, then all the other deeds won't benefit us. The fasting, the kindness to parents, the you know uh, keeping the beard, um, giving sadaqa, you know all the different acts of worship won't matter because the salah has failed to stand. And and this is a this is really this is an an eye opener really uh, with regards to. Uh, how important the Salah is and how mighty a pillar it is and, and why it is the first pillar after uh, the shahadat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people of Salah. Ameen. So it was given as a gift. It's a gift that we look after. It's a gift that we do not feel uh, you know, as something that we consider a burden. And that's why when we listen to the uh, narrations of the Prophet s.a.w. related to wudu, we heard that Rasulullah s.a.w. Uh, he said, وَانْتِظَارَ الصَّلَىٰ بَعْدَ salah That, you know, uh, to wait for a salah after a salah. You know, it's like for example, someone beloved uh, met you and when they left, you couldn't wait for them to come back. And when they told you we're coming back, it was all you could think about. That's how it should be with our salah. That when we finish one salah, we, we sat and we can't wait for the next salah, right? So in other words, we shouldn't take salah for granted. And we should protect our salah from becoming a routine, becoming a norm, becoming an ada besides being an ibadah. And there's a difference between an ada or a norm, and an ibadah, which is an act of worship. Right? So this is an important element. This is a journey each and every one of us needs to have with the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to have this journey. We need to have this journey with the Book of Allah and uh, with the acts of worship that the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stipulates. And from the biggest act of worship is the salah. We need to have a journey protecting it from becoming a norm. You know, the cereal we have every morning, that's a norm. You know? Um you know p- pressing your your you, the, the remote on your key to open your car door as you get close to the car that's a norm you don't really think it if you If you, if you ponder over this my dear brothers and sisters, you actually just do it sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it, but you've done it and the door's opened it's a norm. No, our salah cannot be like that my dear brothers and sisters it has to be something that you know we psyched up for we anticipate our heart beats you know faster because of we we can't wait for that the Mu'adzin to, to make that adhan and and as rasulullah sallallahu wa sallam used to say to bilal arihna salah meaning oh bilal you know calm us and cool us and, 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 and make us happy by announcing the adhan because when you hear the adhan the only thing that's left after that is, is what it's what is is the Salah. So the Adhan is cooling and calming and exciting because of what it calls you to, which is the Salah. Which is the Salah. And last week we said that the Salah is Dhikr, from before the Salah till after the Salah. And in terms of before the Salah, we, 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 we shared as an example, um, you know, uh, having the Sunnah prayers to pray. But also we have the Adhan and the Iqamah, all this is Dhikr as well. So the salah really is dhikr from beginning till end, until after the end. Because after the end we have adhkar as well. So the salah was given as a gift. And every other law Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam while Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was on earth. Except salah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised him to a noble place, a noble standing. And it was here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly gave him the gift. So it's not that a law came down via Jibreel alayhi salam. It went directly to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because he had his standing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly gives him this gift and calls him sallallahu to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him this gift. Right? And obviously when we make an occasion out of something, this should teach us how you know when we graduate from our degrees there's an occasion made out of it. There's a dinner. People are dressed in different dressing. There's you know, pictures and cameras and excitement and we get to call our parents and so on and so forth. We make an occasion out of it. When we get married, we make an occasion out of it. Right? So it you know we can say that an occasion was made with regards to Syah. And that's how it was given to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So then it, it's not something you can forget because there's just so many amazing things surrounding it. The buraq, the travel from Makkah to, to Bayt maqdis in an instant. The travel from Bayt maqdis to, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to the heavens in an instant. Going through the different heavens, meeting the different Anbiya alayhim as-salatu wa-salam. Right? It's just so many events surrounding the salah. It's impossible for us to forget. The conversation with Musa alayhi wassalam, as well. Right? Impossible for us to forget. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our lack of diligence with regards to Salah and you know our Allah and speaker included, may Allah forgive me as well. You know, it's may Allah protect us from making the salah something we do just to do. To get it to you know, to just get it over and done with, you know. You know. Um, you know sometimes you know, sometimes we say, just in passing, we say, Ah, oh, let me just pray Isha, then I can relax. And then, you know, look, I, I know a person who's saying that doesn't mean it like that. But we should love Salah so much that we, we don't even say that like that statement, that let me just get a Salat al-Isha over and done with, then we can relax. No, because Salat al-Isha should be the relaxation. And the Salat al-Isha being over and done with should be the sadness of our hearts and our souls, right? I mean, this is, this is in an ideal situation, my dear brothers and sisters, right? So what I'm saying is, look, I'm, I'm not saying people are wrong. If they say, let's pray salah, then we can relax. I know they don't mean that they hate salah or salah is a burden. Inshallah, they don't mean that. But you know what I'm saying that salah is so important that we should even be extra careful how we speak about it and, and really contemplate the meanings that other people can understand or the wrong meanings and incorrect meanings that they might understand. Right, So, um, these are definite points that we need to take into consideration when we are discussing uh, this particular guidance of the Messenger I pray the audio is, is, is clear uh, and the message is being delivered, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, because the last thing we want to do is just talk for the sake of it and listen for the sake of it. Right? Uh, we should feel a burning emotion and desire to fix ourselves with regards to what we have heard. May Allah increase for us and bless us and forgive us I mean, I'm reading all your messages and I really appreciate them. Okay, now one of the other things we just said was that uh, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Salah was 50 and it was brought down to 5. Now, what we must understand, my dear brothers and sisters, in terms of a lesson from this, is that in life we should burn ourselves into things, not burn ourselves out. And, you know, it is Allah's wisdom that the Salah be dropped down to 5, to keep it sweet, to keep it anticipated not to not, not for it to be a burden and something that burns out the ummah and something they do for the sake of doing it and this is a very important point because if we are observing salah for the sake of doing it there's no fault on the salah there's no fault on the sharia there's no fault on the legislation the reality is that that the, the, the reality is uh, is that the problem is with you and me the problem is with us we need to fix ourselves because Allah created us, He knows us better than we know ourselves, and the rulings of the Sharia are are, are rulings that um, everyone can uh, manage. And if you can't, then there's exceptions, right? Um, There's exceptions and um, leniencies, right? Um, That the Sharia puts in place, right? Concessions, that's the word I was looking for, concessions that the Sharia puts in place. So by default, it can apply to everybody. So the Sharia said five times a day, right? If we are feeling hard to do it, there's no problem with legislation, the problem is with you and me. And Imam al rahimahullah in his famous book, uh, Al-Muafaqat, uh, he has an interesting discussion, and scholars before him discussed this as well, right? An interesting discussion about how perfect the legislation is even in amount, and even in time span, right? So you know, he, he says that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his infinite wisdom, he gave us five times salah a day, not six. If it was six, we would have burnt out. Five is absolutely perfect, and it protects us from going backwards. Four would have not been good for us. Six would have not been good for us, and it's set at five. Right? And at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, you have two Salahs at night, you have three during the day. For example, one before sunrise, two after sunrise, two after sunset. Look at the balance to keep ourselves connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Um, um, throughout the day and night. And you know, Alhamdulillah, we have four units of prayer at night because Allah knows best the wisdom behind this. But but it wouldn't be far off for one to logically deduce and say that perhaps we have four raka'at because of the distance between Salatul Isha and uh, Fajr. Right? So there's great barakah. And and, and, and other things that Allah, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the night um, for rest. So it's not as busy as the day. But when we start our day, it's busy. So Allah gives us two units of prayer. Right? And perhaps we get... Uh, engrossed with the dunya throughout the day. So Allah sets us back and puts us in place and, and helps balance our heart's uh, our, our, our hearts tendencies. Because when you work in the dunya, your heart becomes inclined towards the dunya, towards matters of this world, towards money, towards profit. So Allah gives us four duhar and four asar in the day, right? In His infinite wisdom. It's perfect that it's four and not two. It's perfect that it's four and not three. And when we end our day at Maghrib is three; it's perfect that it's three and not four, Subhanallah. And Fajr is perfect that it's two and not three. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives us the ibadah uh, in style and manner and as, uh, uh, even in terms of the system used because it's best for us because He's created us and He knows us better than we know ourselves. He's made Hajj compulsory one time, once a lifetime, compulsory only once. Twice would have been difficult for the Ummah, right? Um, uh, for example, fasting, 30 days in Ramadan, anything more as something compulsory, would have been difficult, would have burnt out. You wouldn't have wished for Ramadan, as we wish for Ramadan, because Ramadan is only in Ramadan. I mean, when Ramadan finished last time, we were already teary and sad that Ramadan is finishing. But subhanallah, we're already in the new year. Ramadan is not so far away. We we towards the end of um, uh, you know today is, is the 19th of of of, of Safar. Right? Rabiul Awal, awwal Rabi' al-Akhir, al-Ula, Jumada al Rajab, Sha'ban, 6 months after 6 uh, you know after 6 months we have Ramadan. Right? So, and we know the pious predecessors. They would ask Allah to accept their Ramadan, uh, uh, you know, for for uh, six months after, and then ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to bless them with the next Ramadan for the months before Ramadan, Subhanallah, right? So Allah has made Ramadan compulsory one month in the year. If it was two months, it wouldn't have been right for the masses in terms of the outcomes that Ramadan uh, has, has has been set to achieve. And that is the achievement of taqwa. Or from the greatest objectives is the achievement of taqwa. Same thing applies to zakah. Allah takes two point five percent, right? In in terms of wealth, of course, different wealths have different ratings. But two point five percent is is is, is uh, what we are uh, accustomed to, given the type of wealth we have. Not three, not two point six, not 2.4, two point four, two point two and a half percent, right? Not two and a quarter, not two and three quarters, two and a half percent. Right? So, this is infant wisdom, my dear brothers and sisters. So, we learn the importance of burning in and not burning out. And this is what you should think about uh, in your da'wah work as well. That you don't do so much da'wah that burns you out. That you stop, you know, after a week or after a month, and then after a month, you stop it all together. You know, and this is what I tell my team members as well. That, you know, when my team members uh, come in, uh, they always come up with excitements. They say no. We're going to leave this. We want to do a bit more here. We're going to do that. We're going to write so many articles. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I tell them, look, don't. It's good that you have the excitement, but you know, pour that excitement into a container so that you protect it and it can last. You can drink from it, and your excitement can last for a longer time. You know, it's like it's like Hawa. Where uh, sorry, uh, like um, the companion of Ibrahim alayhi salam right? A Hajar. Salam, When the Zamzam came, she quickly built a barrier around it to protect it so that it could be stored, <laughs> mashallah, and not a stream which ran away from her, right? So it could be stored. Same thing, when you have ambition, when you have motivation, when you are excited, harness it, harness it so you can drink from it and it can last longer. It shouldn't be a situation that in the da'wah, you work for an organization, you work for a project, you work for a program, and everybody has to keep you motivated. Everybody has to keep you moving. It shouldn't work like that. If you're working for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you should keep yourself moving, right? But what happens is we burn ourselves out. We make poor decisions. We make poor decisions. And what happens is because we burnt out, we lose motivation with regards to what we're doing, and then we start getting excited by other opportunities, and we start doing other things. Right? Uh, so this is something you should take into consideration, my dear brothers and sisters. Bernie, and even if you want to memorize the Quran, start slow. Don't go and start setting one page, uh, uh, you know, uh, targets and, and uh, to complete in a single day. Especially when you, you do not have momentum in the process of memorizing the Quran. Start slowly. Memorize three lines until it's super easy. Then make it six until it's super easy. Until you can do six in the same time you were doing three. Right? Alhamdulillah for example, then you move on. It might take you a few months, it might take you a few weeks, it might take you a few days, Everybody's different. But pace yourself, pace yourself, right? So we learned this very clearly from how uh, Musa said, look, go and get it reduced. Now Allah is all wise, Allah knew that He would decree eventually five prayers, with the reward of 50. But this was the journey that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set His Messenger upon for us to derive lessons from it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless us and, and gather us with Musa alayhi salam and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Jannah. Ameen. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, to learn from experience. Musa alayhi salam is speaking from experience. He spent time with Banu Israel. He wasn't naive anymore. Right? No, no naivety. He was experienced. So we see um uh, Musa salam from experience telling the Messenger that your Ummah won't manage this. Your Ummah won't manage this. Right? So we should also learn from experience. We should learn from our previous mistakes, we should learn from our previous difficulties, we should learn from our previous successes and wins. We should have a journal and we jot down where we went wrong. Keep it stored learn from it so the next time you don't do the same mistake because madness madness and insanity is doing the same thing expecting different results that's what madness is that is what insanity is doing the same thing expecting different results henry ford who was the big guy at ford and made ford what it is he said, if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. Ford, F-O-R-D, the, the car company, right? Sister uh, it's F-O-R-D. jazakallah um, Khairan. For those who just follow our recordings, what happens in class is there's live notes that, are, that get taken uh, on the whiteboard, mashallah. So as I'm talking, somebody's transcribing, right? Um, in today's case, it's Sister May Allah bless her. I mean, and accept from her. I mean. So, the point uh, that I was saying, brothers and sisters, is that he said, if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. It's just simple physics, right? It's physics, that's just how it is. If you want to get what you never got, then you must do what you never did. That's true, simple physics, common sense, right? You can't, so you have to jot down, you have to do a post mortem of your day. Ideally, a Muslim does a post-mortem of his or her day. Where did I waste time today? How can I ensure that, I, that the same mistake doesn't happen tomorrow? How do we ensure that? But the problem is we don't really do any post-mortem. We just go to sleep and wake up the next day expecting us to just carry on and the, the, the results will be different. This is the problem my dear brothers and sisters. So we learn from... Uh, you know, Musa advising Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa we learn the importance of learning from experience. So we, 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 we work, you know, sometimes you might say, well, I, I set a small target of three ayat to memorize in a day. But then you find out three ayat is too much for you. Learn from that experience. The day you want to get back to memorizing the Quran, don't say I'm going to do three, make it one, make it two. Benefit from that experience, do something different. Does that make sense, my dear brothers and sisters? I pray that it does. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, of this conversation between Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Musa, uh, السلام, uh, the importance of being a sincere advisor. The importance of being a sincere advisor. This is, uh, this is fundamentally important. Musa here is salam here, you know, is not saying, Well, I had my issues with my ummah so let him go have his issues with his ummah. No. They're all on the same team. Right? So he gives him the, you know, sincere advice, that we are on the same team, right? I want you to succeed, please take this advice from me. I'm giving you sincere advice and my advice is not based on ignorance, it's based on knowledge, it's based on experience. And we've discussed experience uh, a, few, a few seconds ago. right? So we, we should be sincere. And we also learn from this that in the da'wah, we should complete each other and not compete each other. That's bad English, but it does sound really good, right? <laughs> right? So, we should complete each other, but not compete with each other. Right? That's important. That's important, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes you're going to open uh, your da'wah effort in a systematic way as an organization. But if you know that you know what I'm doing is going to provide unhealthy competition to what my brother's already doing, no, don't do it. Go and complete your brother's work. Don't compete it. Open your, your project that does a master's degree, for example. That does a different program. That, 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 that completes the previous effort. It shouldn't be an issue that breaks down a previous effort. This is very important. Because you know even uh, you know, today, we know that money is the oxygen of, of progress. And, uh, or for progress. You need money to do stuff to hire people and so on and so forth. But what happens is, in the da'wah, another organization opens. What happens? They take the, the staff of the other, the previous organization. Maybe that staff is a bit disgruntled. So they leave and go to another organization. And this is a tarbiyah, tarbiyah lesson we need to discuss for some people in the da'wah today. How to have etiquettes and adab and morals. It's very important, brothers and sisters, right? You don't just hop from one organization to the other chasing money. Firstly, you should work for Allah. And working for Allah means you've got to look after certain ethics. Right? You should have ethics. It's different to business. It's different to business. But, you know, business also, from an Islamic perspective, we say business should promote healthy competition. Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from uh, selling upon the sale of our brother. And he he, he prevented us from. Putting a marriage proposal upon the marriage proposal of another brother. So, for example, a brother proposes to a girl, and it's common knowledge that the girl is considering this proposal. And then he steps in and goes, "I'll marry you," or "I'll give you a bigger mahar," right? And for example, if, if you know that your brother is doing a, a deal with another brother, right? And let's say it's I'm selling my car for for twenty thousand. You're not allowed to step in and say, "I'll give you twenty five thousand. Sell it to me instead." Unless it's an auction, that's different. But we're talking about normal trade, because the question that's being asked is, can we apply this ethics to business? We say yes, to a certain degree, no doubt, a non-profit is different to a for-profit. However, in essence and, and, and a theory, 100%, these ethics are applied. The Prophet forbade a lot of things, you know, uh, because you know, it's, it's a matter of ethics, it's a matter of making uh, brothers and sisters sad, it's a matter of disuniting the community, right? Uh, he forbade us from selling something at a profit in front of the buyer that we just bought the product from, for example, Alaihi Wasallam. Right? So we know that he, he sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he uh, forbade us from um, buying something from a buyer and in front of him selling it at a profit to somebody else. He says, "No, go and sell it after you transport that product from the place that you bought it. Why? Because you're only going to create sadness. It's just not ethical." It's not ethical. So what we're saying, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, in da'wah, we need to complete each other, not compete with each other. We, you know, money is needed in the, in the da'wah, and today everybody's fundraising. But what happens is, in one vicinity, so, much, uh, so many organizations that really are doing identical efforts open up, or similar efforts that that open up. What happens? If I'm a donor and I donate 100 pounds a month to one organization, the day another organization opens up, I, got to, I can only donate 50. Because now I'm splitting my 100 between two organizations. So this organization, the original one is going to suffer. That's what's going to happen, right? Then a third person comes in, he opens his organization. Now I'm splitting my 100 pounds between three people, for example. The fourth one comes, I'm I'm splitting it at at 25% pieces here, right? So what's happening? We don't realize we're harming harming the effort, we're competing. And another thing that we find in the da'wah today, you know, I, I don't want to discuss the celebrity fan culture, but it's also become a case of market share. Everybody is looking at whose Facebook got the biggest followers and whose uh, lecture brings in the biggest followers. It's all about quantity and not quality, number one. And number two, it's not a case whereby uh, a speaker stepping up and saying, I am uninformed with regards to ABC, go and benefit from that particular sheikh or that particular dai." you know. And, and making this public on Facebook and so on and so forth, to teach this tarbiyah. So subhanAllah, um, we ask Allah to protect us, but sometimes as, as we know, Shaytan is haris, Shaytan is determined. So Shaytan will step in, if he can't stop you doing good work, he's going to pollute it. And sometimes without us realizing, we end up becoming competitors, a negative competition. I'm not, I'm not talking about positive competition, like getting to salah the earliest and praying with the most khushu'. And Allah says, "Asabiyun, asabiyun." This musabaqa is a praiseworthy one because it's it's one which completes one another, right? But we're talking about, um, uh, you know, we are talking about a type of um, a competition that's unhealthy. It, it it brings down the situation rather than allows the situation to thrive. So we learn all these different things, brothers and sisters. I wanted to just share with it because we were discussing uh, the concept of um, this particular, um, or the salah becoming compulsory. I hope you've taken notes because subhanAllah, some of the things I've just shared, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just opened upon me. I, I, I wasn't planning on saying it and... Indeed, all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, Alhamdulillah, Mahdi is taking notes. It will be shared with you all, and I hope you all taking notes as well. Uh, I think Brother Hisham is with us now, walillah alhamd. Better late than never, Hisham. Um, I'm sure you have a good excuse for being late. Um, I'll listen to that excuse a bit later for now. Inshallah, I just want you to lower the the volume of your microphone, uh, please, because when you did step in, it sounded a bit fuzzy. And uh, can you please read for us, if possible? I'm not sure if you're ready to read um, from page uh, 52. Please don't forget to hit the record button uh, on your end uh, as well. So can you just give me a heads up? Um, are you ready to read? Bismillah.
1: Alhamdulillahi <laughs> Rabbil Alameen. May Allah shower his mercy upon the listeners, upon the reader, upon the teacher and upon the one who wrote this book so We are reading from page 52 on the pdf Chapter he would always pray 10 rak'ahs while he was at home and it is these regarding which Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu said I have continued to observe the performance of 10 rak'ahs which I learnt from the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa two rak'ahs before zuhr and two rak'ahs after it two rak'ahs after maghrib and two rak'ahs after isha in his house and two rak'ahs before the fajr prayer if he missed the two rak'ahs before the zuhr prayer he would make up for them during the time when it is prohibited to to pray after asr Sometimes he would offer four raka'as before dhuhr As for the two raka'as before maghrib, it has been authentically reported from him that he said pray two raka'as before maghrib and he repeated it three times After the third time he said for whoever wishes for whomsoever wishes because he disliked that the people should take them as a sunnah This is the correct view that they are recommended and not a regular sunnah In general he used to offer the sunnah and the supererogatory prayers for which there was no reason in his house particularly the Sunnah of Maghrib, for it has not been transmitted from him that he ever performed it in the mosque. But he sometimes performed the other Sunnah and supererogatory prayers in the mosque. And his observation of the Sunnah of Fajr was stricter than that of all the supererogatory prayers. Likewise, he never failed to observe it and the Witr prayer regardless of whether he was at home or travelling. And it has not been transmitted from him that he offered any regular Sunnah prayers when travelling other than these. Scholars of Islamic jurisprudence have, discover, have have differed as to which of them is more strongly confirmed. The Sunnah of Fajr is the first act of the day and with is the last. Which is why he used to offer them by reciting therein the two surahs of sincerity, Ikhlas, because they combine Tawheed of Knowledge and Tawheed of Action, Tawheed of Knowledge of Allah and Tawheed of Allah's Will, Tawheed of Belief and the Slaves' Intention. So say he is Allah, the One includes the Oneness which negates all manner of Shirk which must be confirmed for him Most High and the negation of begetting or being begotten which confirms the completeness of his self-sufficiency and freedom from all needs and his oneness and the negation of anything like unto him which includes the negation of anything similar to him or resembling him and that includes the affirmation of every perfection and the negation of every imperfection that the invalidity of affirming anything similar equal or comparable to him in his perfection and the negation of all manner of shirk these fundamental principles combine all aspects of tawheed of knowledge by which the one who holds them differs from all of the misguided sects and the polytheists for this reason it is said that it i.e. suratul ikhlas is equivalent to one-third of the quran for it revolves around two main points khabar, information and insha' imperatives insha' is of three types firstly command secondly negation and thirdly of permissibility while khabar is of two types information of of the creator the most high his names and attributes and his judgments and secondly information about his creation mankind, the jinn, animals, the earth, paradise, the hellfire, the universe, etc. And Suratul ikhlas concentrates on information about him and about his names and attributes And so it is equivalent to one-third of the Qur'an and it purifies the one who recites it from shirk in matters of knowledge just as the Surah Say, O you disbelievers, i.e. Suratul kafirun Purifies him from shirk in actions And since knowledge precedes action and it is what leads him and drives him and controls him Say, He is Allah the one, is equivalent to one third of the Qur'an, and since shirk in actions is caused by people following their own whims and their fancies, and many of them follow them even though they know that they are harmful, and eradicating it is more difficult than eradicating shirk in matters of knowledge, for that may be removed by evidence and appeal to reason, and it is not possible for the person who holds such ideas to know something which is clearly not so. This is the reason for the emphasis and repetition in قُلْ يَا al الْكَافِرُونَ And this is why he وسلم, used to recite them in the two rakahs of Tawaf Because Hajj is one of the signs of Tawheed And the day's deeds are begun with them And the day, deeds of the night are closed with them He used to lie on his right side after offering the Sunnah of Fajr And regarding this action, two factions held extreme views One of them from among the Zahiris declared it to be obligatory to do so while another group mentioned it saying that it is an innovation Imam Malik and others held the middle view considering that there is no objection if a person does it in order to rest while disliking that anyone should do it as a sunnah Chapter regarding his guidance in Qiyam al-Layl The Night Prayer he never abandoned the night prayer, neither when he was at home nor when he was travelling and if sleep or illness overcame him, he would offer 12 rak'ahs during the day. And I heard Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah saying, In this there is evidence that wither prayers cannot be made up, since the time for them has expired, like the prayer of salutation to the mosque, eclipse prayers and rain prayers, because what is intended by it is that the last prayer of the night be the wither prayer, and his night prayer used to consist of 11 or 13 rak'ahs. There is unanimity regarding the eleven rak'ahs but a difference of opinion exists regarding the final two rak'ahs as to whether they are the two rak'ahs of Fajr or something else. If this is added to the number of obligatory rak'ahs and the regular sunnah which he habitually used to pray, the total number of rak'ahs which he regularly used to offer comes to 40 rak'ahs. These he used to offer habitually and anything additional to these is not a regular prayer. Therefore it is deci- desirable that the slave be consistent in offering these prescribed prayers. Continu- continually until he dies for how, how swift is the response and how quickly is the door open to one who knocks on it every day and night 40 times and Allah is Al-Musta'an the one whose aid is sought when he woke up after a night's sleep he Sallallahu would say La ilaha illa anta subhanaka Allahumma astaghfiru Allahumma astaghfiruka dhanbi وَأَسْأَلُكَ رَحْمَتَكَ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا وَلَا قَلْبِي بَعْدَ وَهَبْ لِي مِنْ None has the right to be worshipped except you. Glory be to you, O Allah. I seek forgiveness from you for my sins and I ask you for your mercy. O Allah, increase me in knowledge and do not make my heart deviate from the truth after you have guided me. And grant me mercy from you. Truly, you are the bestower. If he awoke from sleep he would say Alhamdulillah لله بعدما أماتنا وإليه النشور All praise and gratitude belongs to Allah who has brought us to life after he made us to die and to him will be the resurrection Then he would clean his teeth with the miswak, a natural toothbrush from the root of the Araq tree And he might recite ten verses from the end of Surah Al-Imran from his words In فِي samawati السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth the ayat that follow Then he would perform ablution and pray two light rak'ahs, and he ordered his companions to do likewise in the hadith of Abu Hurairah He would stand up in prayer when it was halfway through the night or a little less or a little more. Sometimes he would break them up and sometimes he would offer them all all of them together and mostly he did the latter. When he broke them up it was in the manner described by Ibn Abbas After offering two rak'ahs, he would stop and sleep. He did this three times during six rak'ahs, each time cleaning his teeth with the miswak and performing ablution each, then performing a witter prayer consisting of three rak'ahs. His witter prayer took a number of forms. Sometimes he would pray in this way, sometimes he would offer eight rak'ahs, making the taslim after each two rak'ahs, and then he would offer a witter prayer of five rak'ahs in succession, uninterruptedly. And he would not sit except in the final rak'ah. On other occasions, he would offer nine rak'ahs, praying eight of them in succession. And he would not sit except in the eighth rak'ah And he would sit and mention Allah, praise Him and supplicate Him Then he would rise without making the taslim and offer the ninth rak'ah And then he would sit and perform the tashahud and make the taslim After making the taslim he would then offer two rak'ahs and sometimes he would offer seven rak'ahs in the manner of the aforementioned nine rak'ahs, then he would offer two rak'ahs after it in a sitting position, and sometimes he would offer them two at a time and then offer a witter prayer of three rak'ahs without separating between them. This was narrated by Ahmad on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha who said that he used to offer a witter prayer consisting of three rak'ahs without separating between them but there is some doubt about this in sahih ibn hibban it is it is reported on the authority of ibn Hura, of abu gharira anhu in marfu form that he sallallahu said do not offer witr as a 3 rak'ah prayer but as 5 or 7 and do not make it resemble the maghrib prayer at Qutni said all of the men in its chain of narrators the isnad are trustworthy harb said ahmad was asked about witr and he said one should make the taslim after 2 rak'ahs and if one did not make the taslim, I hope it would not harm him. Although taslim is more strongly confirmed from the Prophet sallallahu And in the narration of Abu Talib, he said, Most of the ahadith and the strongest of them confirmed that he offered one rak'ah and this is what I follow. He used to pray as narrated by al-Nasa'i on the authority of Hudhaifa Anhu, who said he, that he prayed with the Messenger of Allah ﷺ in Ramadan prayers. And he bowed and said during his ruku'ah, سبحانه رب azim Glorified be my lord the most great For the same length of time as his standing It is also mentioned in the hadith that he had only prayed four rak'ahs When Bilal came and invite, invited him to eat dinner So he performed with it at the beginning of the night In the middle of it and in the latter part of it And one night he stood in prayer and recited a verse Which he repeated over and over until morning أعوذ بالله من الشيطان إن وَإِن تَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ فَإِنَّكَ أَنتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ If you punish them, they are your slaves, and if you forgive them, verily you, only you are the Almighty, the all-wise. And his prayers at night were of three types. First of all, standing which was the most common. Second of all, sitting. And third of all, reciting in a sitting position. And then, when only a little remained of his recitation, standing and bowing in a standing position and it has been confirmed from him that sometimes he used to offer two rak'ahs after witr while sitting and sometimes he would recite the rain in a sitting position then when he wished to bow he would stand and bow this has confused many people for they think that it contradicts the saying of the prophet sallallahu make the end of your prayers at night witr ahmed said i do not do it but i do not forbid anyone who does it he said Malik disapproved of it but the correct view is that witr is a separate act of worship and so the two rak'ahs after it would hold the same place as the sunnah of maghrib and they are a completion of witr. It has not been reported from him sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he used to perform qunut in witr except in the hadith narrated by ibn majah imam ahmad said nothing has been narrated from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but umar radiyallahu anhu used to perform qunut from time to time. And Ahmad and the compilers of the Sunnah narrated a hadith of Al-Hasan ibn Anhu, of which Al-Tirmidhi said it is Hassan i.e. sound hadith We know of no one who reports it except from this source from the hadith of Abu Hurairah al-Sa'di Qunut in Witr has been narrated from Umar, Ubay and Ibn Mas'ud Abu Dawood and Al-Nasai mentioned in the hadith of Ubayy ibn Ka'b عنه, that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to recite in Witr. Glorify the name of your Lord the Most High, Sabih isma rabbika al-A'la And say, O you disbelievers, Qul al-kafirun And say, He is Allah, the One, Qul huallahu ahad And after he had made the taslim, he would say, Subhana al-Malik al-Quddus, Glorified be the King, the Most Holy, three times. Prolonging his voice in the third repetition and raising it. He would recite the surah in a slow and pleasant manner, so much so that it would be longer than normal. And what is intended by the Quran is to reflect upon it. To try to comprehend it, to act upon it, to recite it, and to memorize it in order to attain its meanings, as one of the salaf, as one of the Salaf said. The Quran was revealed in order that it be acted upon, so act upon its recitation. Shu'bah said, Abu Jamrah told us, I said to the son of Al Abbas anhu, I am a person who recites very quickly, and I might recite the Quran once or twice in a night. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said. Reciting one surah is more pleasing to me than, than what you do. So if you must recite, do so in a manner by which your ears may hear the recitation and your heart may retain it. Ibrahim said, al recited to Abdullah but he, and he said, Recite slowly and pleasantly. May my father and mother be sacrificed for you, for it is the beauty of the Qur'an. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, Do not babble like the babbling of poetry when reciting the Qur'an. And do not let the words tumble out the way dry dates fall from the bunch when it is shaken, and stop at its miracles and move the hearts thereby, and do not let the object of any one of you be the end of the surah. And he said, If you heard Allah's words, O you who believe, Ya youhaladina Amanu then listen to it. For it is some pr- for it is some prostration. Sajidawajhi my face has been prostrated for the one who created it and shaped it, and then brought forth its hearing and vision by his power and his strength. And it has not been transmitted from him that he used to say Allahu Akbar when he rose up from his prostration, nor that he used to perform the tashahud or make the taslim ever. And it has been authentically reported from him that he prostrated in alif, la, mim, the revelation, and in sad, and in reed and in Al-Najm and in when the heaven is split asunder Abu Dawood reported on the authority of Amr ibn al Anhu that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, taught him 15 prostrations including 3 in Al-Mufassal and 2 in al Hajj As for the hadith of Ibn Abbas anhu, in which it is stated that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, did not prostrate in Al-Mufassal after he migrated to Al-Madinah Medina, is a weak hadith Continuing in its chain of narrators, one Abu Qudamah al-Harith ibn Ubaid and his hadith may not be cited as evidence. It was declared to be Wa'allal by Ibn Qattan, by ibn Qattan due to Matar al-Warraq of whom he said his faulty memory resembled that of Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla. Muslim was criticized for narrating this hadith because he selects from his hadith but there is no sin upon a Muslim in narrating this hadith because he selected from the hadith of this type which he was known to have memorized correctly just as he would abandon a hadith narrated by a reliable person who was known to have made mistakes in them Some of the people declare all of the ahadith of such reliable people to be authentic while others declare all of the ahadith of a person with poor memory The former is the way of Al-Hakim and his like while the latter is the way of Ibn Hazm and his like and the way of Muslims is the way of the Imams of this religion
0: Uh, Okay, Jazakumullahu khairan for that, Barakallahu feekum Okay, shukran, uh, Akhi Hisham, uh, for that reading, all the way up to page 63. Uh, Please, uh, you know, just take note of uh, the methodology of the scholars Um, in terms of how rulings were produced. It wasn't a case of just looking at one narration. Rather, it was looking at a narration in light of other narrations. It wasn't just looking at uh, the view or explanation of a scholar. Uh, Rather, it was uh, a process of looking into the explanations and views of scholars uh, collectively. And what you just witnessed was a drop um, from the ocean uh, in terms of the methodology of uh, the scholars of hadith uh, in uh, reaching jurisprudic rulings, uh, rulings related to Islamic jurisprudence um, or fiqh. Um, as we know it today. Nonetheless, um, as we said, it's beyond the scope of this classroom to dive into the different uh, d- uh, differences of opinion. Uh, we want to keep this class um, upon a different platform. And as I said, you should learn what you learn uh, to become enlightened, not to become confused. And your reference are, or your your, your reference uh, will be your. A local scholar who taught you about your religion from the time you were born. Walillahi Alhamd, hamd right? Um, The scholar in your vicinity that looks after your Islamic affairs. That's your reference. Uh, But uh, take from here to be enlightened. Uh, Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, With regards to some of the terminologies, then uh, alhamdulillah there seems to be a pretty good um, uh, set of footnotes that um, covers... Some of the, the the Arabic technical terms, like mu'allal and so on and so forth. Um, if there are matters not translated or things which are not clear, then please use the forums to write in and ask. Jazakumullahu khair. Moving on for the remaining part of of uh, or into the remaining part of today's session, um, as promised, we want to discuss some of the fadal of of salah, and we began uh, discussing it. And uh, one of the things that we touched on just before the the, the reading break was uh, the miraj and lessons from it, and how Salah was given to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then, so um, we understand from this that Salah was a big part of Islam uh, before migration to Medina, before migration to Medina right and, and and we discussed uh, in our previous lessons about wudu when did wudu become compulsory did wudu, was there wudu in Ma- in the Meccan times and we said uh, that the majority of the scholars say yes there was wudu uh, during the makkah era or period however it became uh, compulsory um, and uh, upon a particular set um, after migration to medina so because there, there can be no salah without wudu Um, And also, uh, depending on when the the, the Isra and the Mi'raj actually happened. The majority of the scholars uh, mention that the Isra and the Mi'raj happened much later in the Meccan period. This is the view of the majority, right? That it happened uh, much later, um, just before uh, all the wonderful things happened with some of the visitors from Medina, um, and uh, the sending of Musa'b ibn an. So just before this period, the majority of the scholars say that the Isra and the Mi'raj happened. And um, the, some scholars say, no, it happened much, much earlier. You know, some put it in a sort of the, the middle, of the Meccan period. Some say, no, it happened earlier. Why do they say this? They say, well, because, um, you know, Salah was a part of the Meccan period, and um, there's no Salah without Fatiha as well. Right? And that is why uh, there's also a discussion as to when was Surah Fatiha revealed? When was Surah Fatiha uh, revealed? Right? Um, was it revealed in Mecca? Was it revealed uh, later on? Was it revealed uh, earlier on? This is a discussion, and and the and and one of the uh, um, concepts that play into this discussion is, um, you know, um, is 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 uh, the happening of the Isra and the Mi'raj because Salah came about. Salah came about, and there's no uh, Salah uh, without. Uh, Fatiha. Uh, now obviously uh, the uh, supported view or, or, or the, uh, the view with regards to Surah Al-Fatiha is, is that it was revealed in Mecca, right? Uh, what some scholars are saying, it was revealed again in Medina, and so on and so forth. This is not the scope of our discussion. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grants me steadfastness in my thoughts and, 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 and protects me from saying something that that isn't true. I'm speaking from long term memory here, uh, meaning from things which I've read a long time ago. Uh, but the point to note uh, here is the completion that I'm sharing to the Israel Mi'arad story. Uh, Since we did begin it. With regards to uh, Salah, which is our topic of discussion, um, and the faḍl and blessings of the Salah, then they are countless and they are many. And we'll only share uh, a few. Uh, From uh, one of the the, the benefits, the faḍl, the blessings of Salah, uh, is that Salah uh, helps us achieve Taqwa. Uh, And we must understand, my dear brothers and sisters, that we were not created except to worship Allah. Except to worship Allah, um, and we were not instructed to worship Allah subhanahu wa taala except for the sake of attaining taqwa. Okay. Right. Um, so this, these are important points. Somebody says, "Okay, what's the purpose of life?" Say to worship Allah, and I say, "Okay, what's the purpose of worship?" We say to attain Taqwa. What's the purpose of attaining Taqwa? To get into Jannah. That's the cycle. Right? That's the cycle. Because Taqwa has been described as the barrier that is built between us and the hellfire. Between us and failure in the hereafter. Right? How do we erect that barrier? By doing good deeds and staying away from evil deeds. By remaining upon the do's and staying away from the don'ts. Right? So, um, this is uh, a, you know, an important matter to understand. That one of the father and blessings of salah is to attain this taqwa. Because it's worship. And we were not created except to worship Allah. And we worship Allah to attain taqwa. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us this with regards to, to fasting, that fasting has been prescribed upon you to attain taqwa. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ayyuha أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي غَلَقَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Right? Allah says that, O mankind, worship your Lord, the one who created you, and the one who created those before you. So Allah says, worship your Lord. Why? لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So perhaps you may attain taqwa. So this ayah really lays down the objectives of worship, and that is to attain taqwa. This is in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the second surah of the Qur'an, in the first juz. Right? Um, You know, uh, the third page of the Mus'haf, um, it depends which Mus'haf you use. So, the point you note here, my dear brothers and sisters, is that from the blessings of salah is the attainment of taqwa, right? And, you know, creating this barrier. Now, somebody might say, but, you know, I know people who pray salah, but they, 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 their speech is not good, right? And, uh, you know, they practice riba. And maybe they don't treat their family members well. You know, maybe they have jealousy. So, how do we explain this? Right, if, if taqwa is the barrier that's created, because we are upon the do's and we we, we away from the don'ts, right? And, and salah helps us attain this taqwa, how is it that we find the people who pray salah and they still do bad things, they do wrong things, how is this possible? Uh, is this a question that's come up in, in, in your mind at one point or another in your life? Just type it in the chat box below, right? And um, obviously, uh, the answer to that question, uh, or to this question that you know you 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 do ask yourselves, is that there is no issue in salah being a means to attain taqwa. Right? There's no issue in this, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has set this as a precedent. In fact, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Inna عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ He says that indeed the salah puts an end to that which is immoral and that which is disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ankabut, He tells us very clearly, right? That this salah puts an end to all that which is immoral and all that which Allah dislikes. This is a very clear cut expressive ayah, not open to interpretation, right? So again, the question that Perhaps you've asked yourselves one in one time or another in your life that how is it that people observe the salah and they, and they still do evil things when Allah says the salah puts an end to it. Well, the answer is very simple, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala didn't say Inna Inna Salatan Tana'ah Anil Wal Munkar. He said Inna salata As you can see on on the whiteboard, the ayah is on the whiteboard for us. If you look at the term salah, it has an alif and lam before it, right? Which means Allah didn't say indeed a salah puts an end to that which is immoral and disliked by Allah. But Allah is saying indeed the salah. Which salah? The salah. A definite salah. A salah which has a great wudu, and is performed the way it should be performed. That is the salah. That puts an end to uh, immorality and wrongdoing. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, I'm not saying we need to become judges of other people, salah, but we definitely need to judge our own salah, right? Because uh, we should. Allah didn't make us people uh, who are informants on behalf of uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala system with regards to the, the the work of other people. No, Allah has angels that jot down and register and log the deeds of other people. This is another problem today. Today, whenever somebody tells us something, we immediately start thinking of somebody else, <laughs> right? This is what happens, right? Uh, we, we hear a talk and we think, Ah, oh, I wish that brother was here to, to listen to this talk. Ah, oh, I wish that sister was here. I hope there's a recording. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't this what we do? If we're honest. If we really want to be honest and brutal, brutal crit- uh, critics of ourselves, right? Uh, and the reality is, no, we should worry about ourselves. We should worry about ourselves. So we shouldn't start judging other people's salah based on what they do. No, but we should judge our own salah based on what we do. Because if the salah is good, then good deeds give birth to good deeds. And that's the system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Good deeds give birth to good deeds so you can't observe an accepted salah and then go and perform several bad deeds because good deeds give birth to good deeds so uh salah indeed uh, leads us towards taqwa And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, in in surah al-baqarah Allah says that is the book la rayba fi hudan lil muttaqin hudan lil right Allah says this is a book in which there is no doubt a guidance for those who have taqwa A guidance for those who have taqwa. So what's the next question my dear brothers and sisters? Who are the people of taqwa ya Allah? Allah says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ That the people of taqwa, from the qualities of the people of taqwa, are that they believe in the unseen. وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ And they observe the salah. Right, and that's why we're saying salat is a means. From the benefits of salah is the attainment of taqwa, because Allah says that this is a book in which there is no doubt for those who are, you know, are the people of taqwa. Who are the people of taqwa? Those who believe in the unseen and they observe, they establish the salah. And let's change that word "observe" to "establish." Wa yuqimun as salah. Iqamat is establishment of the salah. Right. So they established the Salah, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ and, they, uh, and from that which we blessed them with in terms of financial standing and material well-being, they spent. So look how precise the Quran is. Allah doesn't say they spent, Allah says, وَمِمَّا Meaning, from, from what we give them, they spend. Which means that there's a portion in terms of that which Allah gives us that we're supposed to use for ourselves, for our families, for our own establishment on earth. That's fine. But we never forget the poor. That's a different discussion. The point to note, my dear brothers and sisters, is this, that from the blessings of salah is attainment of taqwa. Also, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, um, salah or from the blessings of salah is the opportunity to uh, engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again in Surah Al-Baqarah, in ayah number 153, He says, يَا salah <laughs> In Allah Asabirian. That oh you who have believed, seek help, invoke Allah, engage Allah through being patient and through the salah. Through the salah. Indeed, Allah is with the patient ones. Right? So uh, this is another blessing from the blessings of Salah. That it gives us an ability to engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in an amazing way. To invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Allah commands us to invoke him during uh, difficulty via the salah because it's during difficulty that we're calling out to Allah really, right? In in, in the most complete form. I mean, for the masses, this is the situation. When people go through difficulty, they really turn to Allah. So Allah is saying, invoke, engage Allah be sabri wa salah through patience and through the salah. May Allah subhanahu wa taala grant us the understanding. Amin. Also. With regards to the Salah, and this is something we've said earlier, that this Salah from its benefits is it helps us to earn the rewards of the afterworld. Right? Of the afterlife, of the hereafter. Right? The Salah will help us in the grave, it will help us on the day of Qiyamah. Right? and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in again in surah al-baqarah in ayah 277 allah says "Inna alladhina amanu wa amilussalihati wa aqamussalata wa atuzzakata lahum ajruhum inda rabbihim wa la khawfun alayhim wa lahum right that indeed those who believe and do righteous deeds and establish the prayer and give the zakah they establish the prayer aqamussalata They establish the prayer, it's not just a one prayer, then a missed prayer, then a half prayer, then a three quote, no, you establish it. It's a perfect prayer to the best of your ability all the time, right? Allah says, they do righteous deeds, they establish the prayer, they give the zakah, Allah says, will have their reward with their Lord. They will have their reward with their Lord and there will be no fear concerning them, nor will they grieve. Meaning there will be no sadness for these people. The afterlife, the hereafter, will be theirs for the taking. Right? Theirs for the taking. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with the death of the people of istiqamah, with angels that come down from Jannah, with white shrouds to capture our soul. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with that happiness at that most scariest moment of our life that we will be from the people of jannah insha allah as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book innal ladheena qalu rabbuna allah thumma istaqamu fala khawfun alayhim wa lahum huzanun ulai ka ashabul jannati khalidina fiha jazaa'an bima kanu ya'malun allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed those who say our lord is allah thumma istaqamu and then they become steadfast they walk the walk they are true to what they say when they say that Allah is their Lord. They're true to it in their actions, in their speech, in their behavior. Allah says, فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ That these people, there's no sadness for them. They shouldn't be scared with regards to where they're going. And they shouldn't be sad about the deeds which they used to do. Whenever we do deeds, Wallahi, we don't know. Is it accepted? Wallahu a'lam. We have good hope in Allah, but we don't know. Allah blesses the people of istiqamah when they dying with the knowledge that their deeds have been accepted, with the knowledge that they're going to a place that they shouldn't be scared of. These are from the people of Jannah and they will remain in it forever. ambi A worthy reward uh, because of that which they used to do. Which they used to do. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make us from the people of istiqamah. mean, My dear brothers and sisters, let's end here, insha'Allah. I think we have much to ponder over, um, much to uh, contemplate with regards to ourselves, uh, with regards to our salah, with regards to a lot of things. So let's use this week or these few days uh, between now and the next class to ponder and, and become better. And remember, that's what our classes are for. Provisions for the hereafter. Right. So every day we're packing something for the hereafter in our back. Right? Which means every day we becoming or after every lesson we've become better. That's how we pack something for our journey. By becoming better. Right? Because it's our deeds that come with us, my dear brothers and sisters. Well baqiyatus salihat. The salihat, the remembrance of Allah, the good deeds, you know, the looking after the do's, the staying away from the don'ts, the worship of the heart. This is really what uh, travels with us to the grave. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and uh, inspire us to aspire and preserve us in His obedience. Ameen. Inshallah, when we come back in our next session, we'll continue with this father and blessing of salah. I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, please use the forums to ask your questions. I saw some questions being asked here. Uh, In general, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, the notes that you have is a summary of Ibn al-Qayyim. So what's been mentioned is what was mentioned by Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Uh, Until next time, subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika nashadu an ilaha illa Anta astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayku sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.